Hello, Don's fans. Ian here. Welcome to the ninth in our series of Don the Stat bonus episodes. Every year, football fans hold out hope that they'll be able to draft the next superstar of the competition. Many of these players are on display during the under-18 competitions that take place in the lead-up to the national draft. One man who's had a front-row seat to seeing the beginnings of those future stars is my guest tonight, Philip Crooks, who has commentated on the Victorian under-18 competition for over a decade. Philip is also a passionate Essendon fan, and he joins me tonight to discuss his support of the Bombers and the stories from his commentary career. Phil, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ian. Um, really feel honoured to um, that you're interested in having a chat to me. Well, once I, once I saw what you're involved with and that, I thought people would really like to hear that because, you know, we, we sort of see what happens towards the end of the process when the draft comes around. But, you know, you're there from day dot for a lot of these players and, and seeing what they're doing as mm. they develop through that year. So I think you've got a really interesting perspective there. And seeing him come through. Yeah, one of the like one of the joys of it is sort of seeing um seeing kids start it off and do what they do in the under eighteens and then wherever they get drafted to. Um hopefully you like to see them replicate that at the at the top level and go all the way through. So was lucky enough to see quite a few go through in the last decade. Yeah. Well we'll get to a few of those big names, but we're gonna start by going through your support of the bombers. And I guess where did that begin for you? How did you become an Essendon fan. Essendon supporter. So I'm, um, I don't know how, what your age demographic for the uh, Don the Stat podcast is, but I'm in my 60s. I was born in 1961 and started going to see Essendon and was a junior member from 1967. So I'm a 57-year member of Essendon. Got that on my membership card. Um I'd be kidding if I told you I can remember all those early games, but I, I know I was taken to the round one in 1967 against Richmond. Um, and the feedback I remember at the time was I thought it was pretty loud and we lost, so I probably wasn't happy. Um, so I was born very much into an Essendon family. Going back on my mother's side, um, my grandfather had followed Essendon from way back in when they started really in 1897. So I was, my mother had me fairly late in her life. So my family sort of was fairly aged. My grandfather died in the late sixties. So mm. I didn't know him well, but he was sort of the patriarch of the Essendon and he had um, six, six kids. One of them was my mum. Mm. So when I first became aware of Essendon in the, in the late sixties, I was sort of looking at scrapbooks from my mother um, with John Coleman and Dick Reynolds and Bill Hutchison and all that kind of stuff. And Essendon won two premierships in the 60s, coached by John Coleman, and then they were getting coached by Jack Clark. So that makes me sound very old, I know, but that's what it was. And I did go to the – my dad took myself and my cousin Paul to the 68 grand final, which we were beaten by Carlton by three points. Um, so it's always been pretty – ingrained in our family, Essendon. And just as an aside, um, a month ago, my cousin and Paul went to the gather around in Adelaide. So it's something that's hung around, you know, for a, yeah. a big chunk of time for 50 odd years. And I was lucky enough, my dad um, loved Essendon and he took me to the footy each week. So I'm trying to guess your age, Ian. How old are you? I'm th- mid-30s. Mid-30s. So you would had you ever... Did you ever get to see a game of Essendon at Windy Hill and those no, things? No, a bit, a bit after my time. A bit, a bit after my time, your time. Sorry, yeah. So, so my 
my opening or, you know, my learning years of Essendon was Windy Hill and then all the home and away grounds. And so I got to go to all those sort of games. Um, I can remember Tuddy coming to Essendon and members of my family being, saying, you know, your grandfather will turn in his grave. We've got a Collingwood player as captain coach of Essendon. It, it It was a pretty big deal for a lot of people. And going through that period, seeing, um, I suppose my, my first favourite player was Barry Davis, and I had a, an Essendon jumper with 32 on it. And mums in that era, or my mum especially, they'd always buy your clothes about three sizes too big because you'd grow into it, so they'd last a long time. I had this big Essendon jumper with 32, and like two years later he went to North Melbourne. So that was a great life lesson. <laughs> well, that's to me, That's um, that reminds me of how I felt with Gavin Wanganine. I didn't have his number on my, any, any jumper of, of mine, but uh, that was, I imagine that's probably the, a similar feeling yeah. for people of my age, that that sort of departure there. Yeah. <laughs> You're in love with these people and they go. Mm-hmm. So um, I suppose all, all through that, uh, through the Tuddy period, we had Graham Moss. So seeing Graham Moss come over from Perth and win a Brownlow medal was fantastic because that was the first sort of success I saw Essendon. So all my friends barrack for Carlton or, uh, Richmond or North Melbourne at the time, and they were seeing premierships, but I wasn't. But we had Graham Moss, and he won a Brownlow medal, and then he went back to Perth the year uh, straight away. So that was a so it was a it was a hard sort of period. It was a down. The seventies wasn't a great period for us, and yeah. and um, we lost. We, we had a thing called eliminitis. We were losing elimination finals, and uh, so there wasn't a lot of team success. But late seventies was. Um, the baby bombers. Yeah. So that's it's a bit like how you form your your taste in music in those teenage years. That's what really sticks with the rest of your life. Yeah. So in this in nineteen seventy seven, um, I was fifteen years of age, and I went to Victoria Park for Collingwood Essendon, and my dad didn't like Collingwood much, and at that point he wouldn't go to Victoria Park, but I was allowed to go by myself. So I'd hop on the train at Thornbury, get to Victoria Park get there for the start of the reserves and you'd just stand around the fence and I'd always sidle up to a family that would sort of adopt you for the day and look after you and perhaps give you a sandwich or something. (laughs) And I remember looking on the ground and seeing this number 32 running around and I didn't know who it was. And I asked them, just said, do you know who number 32 is for Essendon? And they said, yes, that's Larry Watson's brother. I said, Larry Watson's brother? He said, his name's Tim and he's 15 years of age. Well, I couldn't believe anyone... He's the same age as me and he's playing football in the reserves for Essendon. I thought, 15? That cannot be. He was so big. Mm. So he became an instant favourite of mine, Tim. And in the weeks pursuing, when Bill Stephen was coach, we had um, Paul Vanderhaar start and he was a rock star. Mm. Um, and soon after you had Glenn Hawker, Merv Nagel and all these players in the Danaher's the year after. And so we had a really good period of time. And, I, you know, I... Yeah. You could sort of sense that something was going to happen. And then uh, Barry Davis took over, didn't quite work out. And then once Sheeds took over, um, happy days. Like yeah. It was a, it was a bit of a rocky – took a few seasons to get it all together, but once it did, it was pretty good. And I was sort of lucky enough to um, – you'll see YouTube footage or any of those sort of flashback shows. I was at the Windy Hill Riot game against Richmond, so I witnessed that live. I saw – 
Um, the Vander, I was at the Vanderhaar Knights game, which you see good footage of with the two the two blondes going um, head to head. So, you know, it, w- it wasn't a lot of team success, but you know, we had we always sort of had good players that sort of yeah. Simon Madden starting his career, Gary Foles, those kind of blokes. I can remember writing a letter to Kenny Roberts and Ron Andrews, and they wrote back. It was a big thrill for a, a yeah. kid at school to get that yeah. sort of stuff back. So. Yeah, I, I was hooked. I was hooked for life. Yeah, there's no problem with that. You've probably got a lot in common with your origins of, of being an Essendon fan, with sort of the fans board in the mid '90s. You sort of probably missed that success of 2000. Uh, you you obviously missed the success of '65 just just slightly, and then Correct. that that long barren period. So I think as you as you sort of hinted at as you were heading up with that story, you um you know the, it does turn eventually, and you know it's it's. It's probably turning a bit like the Titanic at the moment rather than a jet ski, um, but hopefully it does continue to turn that way. And I guess the other thing that really uh, struck me from what you just said is how you, within your family, you, you've sort of got a connection back to, you know, the beginnings of Essendon, you know, the Albert Thurgood era and things like that. So, you know, you you have memories, you know, shared from your, your parents and your grandparents where you, you can point back to the beginnings of Essendon. I think that's mm. really cool. No, that's absolutely an on. Um, I mentioned my cousin Paul. Their surname's Madden, so it's not they're not related to Simon Madden. Although Paul went to school with Simon and is still good friends with him. Um, if you go back into Albert, I'm sure if you tweet him, he'd say he'd remember Albert because he, he remembers all those players. There was a guy called Mick Madden played for Essendon. I think he might have played in a premiership in in 1911 and 12, and he was a relation um, to the to my cousins, the Maddens' grandparents. Um, back so there's sort of been always really really strong ties um, to the club and and that's gone not into my generation but the generation below me now our our kids are all Essendon and then their kids and our sort of Essendon as well mm-hmm. and they I'd tell them about that gap um, this is just one of these stupid quirky things that I went to the 68 second semi Carlton beaters. My brother got taken to the preliminary final and we beat Geelong, so I didn't get to go to that. And then I went to the grand final and we lost. And then I saw us lose elimination finals to St Kilda twice, Fitzroy twice, North Melbourne, and I just thought I was never destined to see us win a final. So when I hear all that talk now about Iceland having won a final for that period, I've already been there and done that. And I'm obviously big on the history of the club. And we've had other periods where we've gone – you know, 18, 20 years without a premiership and barren periods, but we've still got 16 cups. Mm. So, and that's the equal of anyone else. So that's, to me, you know, still a mark of success. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, clubs clubs are more than just premiership success. They're about the, the people involved and, and the fans' support as well. And as, as you also sort of hinted that, you know, you can, you can have – enjoyable moments with particular players or particular events, you know, that, that stick with, that stick with you long time. That doesn't have to be a premiership. I mean, we all want to see premiership success, but you can still have that strong connection from, from other moments like you were bringing up there. I had um, my, I suppose, you know, this is just, I'm, I'm letting you into my personal things here that I, that I want with, you know, from following this and why I do it um, is, is a lot of it's the family stuff. You just want to be there with your family and experience some of those big days. So sadly, my dad passed away in 82. So we never got to actually see Essendon win a premiership together. 
but we did see Neil Danaher in 81 beat Carlton in the last five or ten minutes. So we were sitting in that Hawthorne stand on the half-forward flank right where Neil kicked that last goal. And, like, that was our premiership. That that was one of the best days I've ever had at the footy because, as you can imagine, Carlton were pretty arrogant at the time. They were winning premierships and we were beating them, which was sort of frustrating because we could beat Carlton, but we couldn't win a final to beat them in, in September. But that day, Neil beat them um, at the end was, yeah, it was good. It was, a, it was a great feeling and a great, yeah, one of those great days at the footy. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that's come up a few times uh, talking to people, you know, older, older than myself and, you know, it, it Again, Neil Danaher is such a, a great person for, for what he's done, you know, more recently with, with his hardships. But, you know, he, he was a pretty good player before he got injured as well. So, you know, well, long. He was, and, and um, you have to take my word for this, but my dad did say in that three or four years that he w- watched him, he said he was the best player he'd seen at Essendon since John Coleman. So he'd seen a lot of good players and um, he rated him very highly. And, and it's significant that Kevin Sheedy had made him captain as well, above a lot of good players. He'd moved Simon Madden on. He had Terry. It was Tim Watson coming through. There's a lot of good players there, but he'd made him captain. Look, sadly, he didn't get to lead us out on the ground, but um, no, he was a wonderful player. Yeah. Well, look, let's, before we start talking a bit more about the present, just a question yeah. I always ask our guests, what's your unpopular Essendon opinion, either past or present? Um. Okay, so my unpopular Essendon opinion is I don't – I'm over and tired of people losing it over clash jumpers. Like, just move into this century. It just doesn't matter. And I think our obsession with the sash, while quaint and it's in the Constitution and all that kind of stuff, like, the clash jumpers look, look like tripe. Just have – a neutral colour with a bomber with the bomber symbol on the front that would be fine. It doesn't affect the way we play. It doesn't affect um, affect the result. They're still the same players. It doesn't really matter too much. The clash jump is just to make it a visual visually easy for everyone to see. Now, I, I never had any trouble differentiating between Essendon and playing Melbourne or Richmond or whatever. But this is two thousand and twenty three. So I suppose my unpopular opinion is. Just have a neutral jumper with a bomber on the front, and that would be fine. I wouldn't get to. I wouldn't lose my my stuff over it. Well, I think that's definitely uh, classifies as an unpopular opinion in in some yes. areas. I, I reckon <laughs> there'd be a few people throwing their phones now and, and switching this off after that. But hopefully, <laughs> the rest of you stick with us as we we go through uh, your story and what you've you've done. Um, look, let's talk about more modern stuff with the bombers and. You know, one thing I've been asking people the last couple of episodes is, given what happened last year, what were your expectations going into, into last year, and then how did you see things playing out, and and what was your opinion of, of what happened? Um, I think most people were pretty optimistic going into it because twenty one was a, a reasonably good year, and we did finish eighth, and that final down in Tassie in Launceston. Um, you know, they played pretty well for a great period of time in that. So their, their expectation was good. Stringer was playing, um, you know, Dustin Martin type footy, um, which he still does too, which I still, still think he does today. Um, 
and Jordan Degoe type footy. So I think he sort of fits that mould. Peter Wright was coming along. It, there was no reason why we shouldn't. We had the three draft picks that had, uh, well, Cox and Perkins had debuted. Reed still hadn't and still really hasn't had a, a fair sort of crack at it. So there was lots of things to, to like about w- what was happening. Um, I hadn't seen Ben Hobbs but heard a lot of good stuff about him. So the expectation was pretty high. And I a couple of things that I do get wrong, like I probably underestimated Geelong because Geelong had got flogged the year before out of the finals and I thought they were too old and had drafted poorly or traded poorly. But, yeah, they hit us between the eyes in round one. And then all of a sudden we just had that really bad start to the year. Um, and it sort of percentage was poor and we just couldn't couldn't get it back. We just couldn't. We sort of limped back. The things that worried me last year more than anything and was there was games, I think the positives were we beat Sydney on the MCG. They were a grand final team. And by crikey, we should have beaten Collingwood twice and they were a preliminary final team. And we beat Brisbane, who were decimated by COVID, I understand that, but we still beat them in Brisbane. There's three three of the preliminary final teams we we beat, but the games against like the game against Port Adelaide something smelt like it just wasn't. I'd seen it before um, at the end of Matthew Knight's period where there's just something wrong, and yeah, the attitude was terrible and the, there was just no fight in what you just expect. It was just a yeah, it was just some shocking some really dispirited footy. So while you don't, like Essendon, create headlines and, you know, probably the same as Collingwood and a few of the other bigger clubs, but we create a lot of headlines. But I'm pleased it all blew up because sometimes you just need that. You just need it to all blow up and everyone gets put on notice and everyone goes back to ground one, uh, ground zero, and you can sort of run it from there. So yeah. expectations were high um, and it just didn't deliver and it was just a really – became a bit of a grind to go. I still went, but it became a bit of a grind. Yeah. Well, look, obviously probably made a much better start to 2023, even though as we're recording, we have lost three matches in a row, albeit to really good sides. How are you feeling about where Essendon is currently? And I guess the Brad Scott appointment, what were your thoughts at the time? And how do you feel about him now that you've seen him in action? So the... um. Brad doesn't know this, but he and I have had a probably a hate-hate relationship before his appointment at Essendon. <laughs> I wasn't a big – I suppose it comes back to Essendon have got long memories. Essendon supporters have got really long memories. And um, the treatment of the Scott brothers against James Hurd, you never forget. And um, I wasn't a particularly big fan of him at North Melbourne. I used to think he used to carry on in the box, which I'm not a big fan of. I like coaches to coach, not to support. Um, but – I'd have to say we've got to learn to like each other and get to know each other. And I've liked what I've heard from him so far. I like his press conferences. Um, I don't find them cliched or whatever. He's straightforward. You can tell the journalists, you know, a, a bit nervous to ask him any Dorothy Dixes or <laughs> anything. He's got him on. He's just, he's straightened everything up. So I'm quite happy with him. I'm really happy with, Successful 
eras for clubs usually bounce off um, good drafts where pl- uh, clubs pick up two or three really good players in a draft. So if you th- you know, some obvious ones like Roughhead and um, Buddy and uh, who else did they get in that draft? They got another good player in that draft. Um, Lewis. Lewis, that's right, yeah. Jordan Lewis. So you, you bounce off like you need that sort of draft to come on. Collingwood drafted Pendlebury and Daisy Thomas, you know, which led, which helped them build a, a premiership side for 2010. So it's important for Essendon, that draft where we've got Cox, Perkins and Reed. they've got a, you can't sort of hit and miss that. There's, there's a lot depending on that, I reckon, that those three and their age. And so we, We've seen a glimpse of Cox, and I think he's a real point of difference for Essendon. He's a hard matchup. Where we play him, I'm not quite certain. I don't have an answer to that. But I just want him played where it's a real pain in the neck for the opposition because they can't match him up. You know, he's, you put a tall player on him, he'll run off him. You put a short player on him, he'll outmark him. So we've got a lot of, I'm pinning a lot of faith on him coming through. I love Archie Perkins. I think he's, He's got a bit of um, James Hurd about him, not size-wise yet. But he's only he's a, he's small, but he's he's got some class. And we've picked up some rippers um, mid-season. And Nick Martin, wow, like that is. Um, if you go back to Anzac Day third quarter, and Nick Martin outmarked Steel side bottom on the half forward flank, contested mark, took two steps back, one step forward and delivered a laser beam pass to Kyle Langford. That's that's high skill, high skill. Not, not every player can do that. And with Perkins and and um, especially Martin, I think they're the real skill factor for Essendon. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think the future's rosy. I think we've got a really good Ruckman who is still learning the caper, So he, he's but he's got a lot of pluses. Though I think the next premiership will be built on his shoulders. He's just he's he's got a he's got a lot going for him. He just needs to um work with the psych a bit, I reckon. Just get his mind right for certain times, certain parts of the game. Sometimes I think he goes in a bit heightened. So he, he overruns the ball a bit or he's a bit fumbly. So when he's clean and he's running through and no one knows what he's gonna do, probably him as well. That's chaotic, that's good. Yeah. Opposition can't deal with that, so yeah. So feeling positive, I think. I'm positive, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think most people are. You know, there's people are upset that we've we've lost some close ones and, and let some leads slip. But I, I agree. I think there's a lot more to like than dislike at the moment. And I think if things go to plan and and those players that you mentioned in particular are able to reach their potential, we're going to be a very dangerous side. Port and Geelong beat us by eighty plus points last year, mm-hmm. and you know the Port games only. Eight or nine games ago, that happened. So, it's a big turnaround. Yeah, in a short space of time. All right. Well, let's start moving on to the reason why I got you on tonight to talk about the under eighteen competition in in Victoria. We've you've been involved with pretty closely. Uh, I think when you started, it was known as the the TAC Cup, and then it became the it was the NAB League, and now I think it's the Coates uh, Talent League. Uh, so, I guess for for those unaware or have only heard about it in passing. What is it and what's its purpose? So the TAC Cup started in 1992. So when it 
previously there was the, each club had the um, the seniors, the reserves, and the under nineteens, and you had zones to recruit from. So Essendon had obviously the Essendon zone and had added Ringwood was our metropolitan zones, um, and then they brought in the draft and the, with the draft and the the dismantling the under nineteens, they had these sort of hybrid clubs. So. It wasn't like – so the Calder Cannons and the Western Jets are in the north, western and northwestern area. They weren't there just to feed Essendon, but Essendon had an affiliation with the two of them. Um, Carlton and Collingwood sort of with the Northern Knights, hence the colours of um, Calder Cannons, um, and so on and so forth. So that's where those Eastern Rangers, Dandenong Stingray, Sandringham Dragons, and they come through that, and that's where you pull your main pool of draft – players or Melbourne players drafted in the Melbourne area would come from. Um, how we got involved in the late uh, 2000s was I was doing – I was involved with community radio. I used to do a sports show every Saturday morning on um, 88.6 Plenty Valley FM and I was doing it for about four or five years at that point. And we were – me and a mate of mine, Rick Morris, used to um, used to go in every Saturday morning and we'd talk and you'd be looking for different areas. So the station already covered Northern Footy League or Diamond Valley Footy League. So they already had a coverage of that. We were trying to find something different. So we, we through a connection, we knew the coach of the – one of our mates knew the coach of the Northern Knights, a bloke called Neil Connell, known Codger, played – was a Diamond Valley legend and ended up working at North Melbourne as um, – uh, in the development role at North Melbourne for a number of years. I only gave it up a couple of years ago. And so we knew him. So we started calling him every Saturday morning at a regular time and he'd give us a Northern Knights update. And this went for a couple of seasons. And he used to say to us, why don't you come down and call one of our games? And I, we'd never called footy before. And the problem we had was that um, the station had Northern Footy League on a Saturday. So we had to wait for the fixture for the Knights to play of a Sunday. And then there's a lot of stuff to get done. But anyway, sure enough, in 2008, there was a Sunday free. Northern Knights were playing Murray Bush Rangers at Preston City Oval. And the station said, yeah, okay, you can go down, you can call the game. And we had to get a sponsor to help cover some costs and all that kind of stuff. And we did that. So it was a significant game for Essendon people because in that game for the Northern Knights was Michael Hurley and David Zarakis. And... Just to throw in on the other side, for Murray Bush Rangers, there was Jack Zebel and Steel Sidebottom. So for your first game of footy that I ever called, <laughs> um, it was pretty significant. Like the, the outcomes were pretty good and for Essendon it was pretty good um, with the two players we sort of picked up. And Essendon also drafted another player who never played a senior game called Michael Still out of that draft as well. And he was played with the other two boys. So that was our first taste of it. Um, I'd never called footy before. And so I just learnt on the run. Just probably copied, you know, Peter Landy or Dennis Committee or Bruce McAvaney or whoever it was. You just sort of picked it up, had a list of numbers, numbers and names and um, sort of took it from there. So from there, um, we we called two games that year. The Knights made the final. I think it might have been the year after. We called one game that year. The following year, we called two or three games for the Knights through the Plenty Valley FM. And one of those games was a final at Princess Park 
was the Knights versus the Stingrays. And we were going there to see, really to see Tom Scully because he was all the talk about being the number one draft pick. And when we got there and called the game, um, the Stingrays won, but Scully was kept quiet by a bloke called Kane Lambert um, from the Northern Knights. And we knew Kane, um, I'm involved with, I was involved with cricket, local cricket, North Metro cricket. So we knew Kane um, and his mate Adam Marcon played cricket for one of the clubs, Northgate United. So we knew Kane pretty well. So we were thrilled to see him like blanket Tom Scully. Um, and we also came out of that day, the best player on the ground was a guy called Luke Parker. And he was a 17-year-old that day, bottom age. So I'm giving you a taste of what it was like. You see these guys in these mm. games mm. and what they go on to see. And the week after, I'm pretty sure it was the week after, the Stingrays played Oakley Chargers and Andrew Gaff was best on ground. Mm. So th- yeah. these guys have all got 200-plus game careers sort of mm. through there. Do you, do you notice then when, when they're playing, do you, do you pick out players and go, oh, I reckon that guy will be an AFL player or is it? 100%. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> 100% you do. Is it pretty so obvious that they stand out above the rest pretty yeah. clearly? Or yeah. Yep, absolutely they do. And there's a few, oh, I can mention a few sort of along the line, but I, the, the way that, so that we developed this, so we'd got a taste for it, obviously. We thought this is pretty fun and you're seeing good play. It was a really good standard of footy. Um, and we developed really strong relationships, firstly with the Northern Knights, but then other clubs. So at that point, you'll appreciate this, streaming started it. with The first sign of streaming, and we're not, I'm not overly technical, but I'm not too bad with it, but I didn't really understand what streaming and internet, I knew what the internet was, but it, how this was going to work. So we had some people um, that we knew um, through B- a mob called BPM Media. So being a sports lover, you'll, you'll have heard of Brett Phillips that yeah. does the tennis and on Channel 9 and call footy, and another guy, Peter Mercado, who um, also called VFL footy and does a lot with the tennis as well. So they had an organised little company called BPM Media who we were associated with, and they had the gear for us. And they had a relationship with AFL Victoria, who were running the competitions, who run the VFL and the TAC Cup. And they had a, a fantastic media guy in charge of media called Anthony Stangitz, who comes from the eastern suburbs, came from the Eastern Footy League. And we got introduced to him and they said, well, look, no one's doing this. Um, we're more than happy for you to do a game a week if you want to. So I say this is like volunteer stuff. We're not getting paid to do this. We we were just getting sponsors to cover it and cover our costs and stuff like that. But all our travel and all that sort of stuff was coming out of our own pocket, but we were really enjoying it. And from that, we developed relationships with um, all the clubs really, but some really embraced it. Others were just a bit half-hearted, but were happy enough to sort of come along for the ride. But we got to know um, – we developed really good relationships with the six metro teams and the six country teams. And we used to drive up to Ballarat or to Wangaratta and do the do the calls and Gippsland and things like that. So the payoff for us for all that, you know, I can gloss all over the tough bit and the long drives and the shocking games and all that, but we used to get to call the grand final at um, Eddie Head Stadium, Marvel Stadium now. And we used to get to go in the triple M box. So for blokes that are just amateur schmamata, that's pretty cool to go into the media, just to go into the media area 
Eddie had was was good. And on the day, like SEN would be there, the ABC would be there, and we'd be in the box in Triple M's. It was vacant on the day. We'd go in Triple M box and call the grand final. So um, I wrote down what the, the first grand final we did was um, significant precedent, but it was Calder Cannons versus Gippsland Power. And um, the captain of Gippsland Power that day was Dyson Heppel. So we saw him come through. So I'd earmarked him to to come. Essen were already talking about getting him at pick seven. But for the Calder Cannons, they had um, uh, Tom Libertore, Mitch Wallace, uh, Cameron Guthrie. Um, I wrote down a few others there that that played in that game. Wallace, Guthrie, Dion Prestia. And there's a couple of other blokes at Carlton draft that didn't kick on. Matthew Watson and, and Luke Mitchell's about six players got drafted. Um, from the Calder Cannons in that day. And also I mentioned earlier my cousin Paul, who I go to the footy with, his son Luke played for Calder Cannons that day. So that was a bit of a thrill to call the Cannons winning a premiership with him playing. So seeing those guys um, in one team and to see them all going and um, apart from uh, like Guthrie, Prestier and and Libera are still going today. Yeah, and, you know, all great footballers in their own right. So to sort of see them come through, and you often hear Brian Taylor talk of the Calder Cannons as, and the Geelong Falcons as the footy factories. So that's where it all sort of started. That, yeah, that um, were able to supply great groups of players. Yeah, sort of getting through. So yeah, sort of seeing those guys come through. Um, yeah. So I guess um, just sort of bringing back to the the competition, just so people are a bit. Clear. How does it relate to the AFL Championship? So I guess we often see the Carnival and, and Vic Metro and, and Vic Country. Do those countries? Yeah. Do those six uh, Metro teams feed into Vic Metro, and then the six Country teams feed into Vic into, Country? Into Vic Country. Yeah. So this is what was sort of one of the quirks of the system, I suppose. Not quirk. I don't know. This is the way the way that it was sort of set up. So if you the, the top players that are earmarked, they'd be playing. You'd see them for the first two or three rounds, and then they would you wouldn't see them because they'd be going to play private school footy. So they'd be playing the, the school football, and then they'd get commissioned into Vic Metro or Vic Country. So a lot of the good players, you would only see them play a couple of games at the start of the season. There were 16 rounds in a season, and you'd see them for maybe two or three rounds at the end of the season and then whatever finals they played. So you'd only – these clubs in – inverted commas, some of these blokes only play, you know, 15 or 16 games for them, you know, the good, the, the really good players, because especially the ones that are going through private school and, and that kind of area. So um, that's sort of how it feeds. And um, the I, I think I think it's one of the better stories of blokes that didn't make the country. So we were calling um, – so I'm trying to think when this is. This is about 2013. Clayton Oliver um, tried out for Vic Country and didn't get selected for them and had to go back and play for Murray Bush Rangers. So when all the really good players are away, they bring in a lot of the under the younger players, the bottom ages, some 16-year-olds and whatever. And through talking to the – I can't remember who the coach was at the time, but he, he was telling us that – he, he thought Oliver should have been picked in Vic Country and he was a bit, you know, miffed that he missed out and whatever. But in the couple of months that 
everyone else was playing school footy or championships or whatever. Clayton Oliver went to another level, one of the two levels, to be honest. And when he came, when everyone came back, Clayton Oliver was a different player and he was drafted at four, I think, three or four. So he'd gone from a player that wasn't deemed good enough to play, you know, in the top 22 country players, let alone all Australian and all that kind of stuff, to being number three or four in the draft. Mm. So it was a good example of what sometimes you just need to, for players, everyone develops at a different, I learnt that, every player develops at a bit of a different pace. Mm. Um, And sometimes it can just happen sort of quickly. And the, I think another player that I saw go through, Marcus Bontempelli was, he was good, like he was a good player and he played Vic Metro and he was, I mean, you could see he was good, but you wouldn't have thought he was be what he turned out to be. And he came, his last couple of games of the season and he, nights that year, played two finals, he was exceptional. Like he just, it was like a different player ran out, like the, a, a light switched on for him. And he just sort of knew how good he was, he could be, and his size and everything. And um, but I still didn't anticipate how good he. I knew he'd be good, but I didn't think he'd be as good as what he is. Yeah, yeah. And I guess on the on the flip side, who's who stood out to you immediately and said that this is a this is going to be a gun player, and then they've actually turned out to be, you know, quite, quite as good. Well, no, not 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 that. I guess more. Who 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 have you saw first time and gone? That guy's going to be a star, and they've gone on to be a star. I talk about my mate Rick and I, so we disagree. He barracks for North, but he and I disagree on a lot of stuff. But the one thing we agree on: the best player we've seen uh, in our period was Christian Petrarca. So he played, he played for the Eastern Rangers, and he played footy the way he plays for Melbourne now. So when he was playing, he was like a secondary school kid playing amongst primary school kids. It was just big and bulldoze everyone out the way and he was just a terrific player and he's sort of gone on. There's players that um, there was a, a bloke, he's still playing and I, I still think there's more to get out of him but Jaden Stevenson started for the Eastern Rangers. He played in a final series as a 16 year old. He looked like a little jockey. He had blonde hair, he was really skinny. You are worried he was going to get hurt and he played like three – or he played towards the end of that season. So he played a bit as a 16-year-old, then a year as a 17, then a year as an 18. And he developed a lot over that period. And we thought, wow, he'd be pretty good. He went pick seven. And I remember Kevin Sheen saying he thought he was the best player in the draft. And if you think back to that first year at Collingwood, or the first couple of years at Collingwood when he got drafted – he played a pretty. He played a very good grand final against West Coast. Kicked a couple of goals in the first quarter, and um, just seemed to have lost his way, you know. And he's let go, and he sort of hasn't set the world on fire at North. So I don't, I don't believe you lose it. He's got the talent in there somewhere, and Clarkson might be the guy that unearths it. But pretty, pretty special player. He's got a lot of got a lot yeah. of tricks. Mm-hmm. So he's the sort of guy we saw. Um, on an Essendon front, seeing players come through, we were lucky enough to see Tipper play his first games for Gippsland Power. So he's, well, people might know Gippsland's uniform. So they've got a, a blue, red and white uniform, um, blue with like a white lightning strike 
and read through it, and red shorts. And the red shorts did Tipper's backside no favour. Like they were pretty <laughs> – he always had a fairly large rump and he used to wear red boots and they used to play him off the halfback flank and he was exciting. Like he was just exciting. And um, he – yeah, I was thrilled when he ended up at Essendon and he, and he did a lot of hard yards. And I think we saw him as a – might have been 16 or 17 and his English was pretty – only fair, and he'd been taught English and all that kind of stuff down there. But he was a – they were a big fan of him down at Gippsland and um, he, he was a, he was a great yeah, – he's one I've really enjoyed coming through and, you know, I'm talking to the converted here, how much how much enjoyment has he given us and oh. cross our fingers, how much more enjoyment is he going to give us? He's just a wonderful player. Yeah. Well, I said after the – the first game of the season where he, where he came on as a sub and that was even to him just coming on was a, a fantastic moment then kicking that goal. It's one of the most fun days I've ever had at the footy. Yeah. Just just seeing him back out there, you know, we, we thought we might have seen the last of him. And, you know, you, you talk about moments for me, I've, I've mentioned this a lot, but the the goal against North Melbourne that, that won the game in the last 10 seconds, I was right right in line with that. And, yeah, that's, you know, and as I said before, you know, it's not just about premierships. It's it's those sort of moments that stick with you and that will stick with me for the rest of my life. It Well, Ian, I don't know where your seats are at Ed, but I, I'm a high mark member, but I sit in aisle 30 on level two. And I've been lucky enough to witness the, the tipper goal against North and the James Heard goal against West Coast right behind it because yeah. the ball should have got stuck between the posts, the angles that tight. <laughs> um, two thrilling moments. So seeing Tipper come through that, and Tipper had like he, he had some luck in that he was fortunate in that the players got suspended and he he's he's advan- he probably got a game in situations where he may not have got a game. But that that was a big plus for us to see him sort of go through. Um, and he worked very, very hard through the VFL and, you know, he did, the, he did the hard yards to get there. That's why you want to see him enjoy this part and impart his knowledge and his, you know, there's, is a, a, you know I think it was um, 26 for Collingwood, Ben, can't remember his surname, who he ran down on the MCG there in one of those Anzac Day matches. And, oh, Hoskin Elliott. Is that the yeah, one you're Hoskin talking Elliott about? Was yeah. It? yeah. Everyone in the ground except Hoskin Elliott knew Tipper was about to tackle him. It was fantastic. It was just the raw, you know. So he he, he brings a lot of excitement. So yeah. And I'm trusting that the rest of the season. So seeing those guys, um, I saw we, we call Magic Door when he first started at the Western Jets. So clearly Magic stands out in the crowd in this blue and yellow jumper, massive, massive unit. And he could mark and he could handball, but he couldn't kick to save himself. So he was just running around the ground marking and as soon as he marked it, he'd flick off a handball and just to see him develop into a into, into an AFL player. That's a I mean, they're great. great. Giving his background and that, they're great stories just to sort of see them work their way through. Yeah. Pardon me, work their way through. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you haven't been involved now for a couple of years, I guess, sort of what what brought your, you know, involvement with the commentary to a close and is is something you still pay close attention to, the under-19s? Now um, that it's under-19s, I guess, it's one of the changes that's happened to the competition. Yeah, I suppose. So there was a couple of things that sort of happened. Um, it got to 2018 
and it changed to from TAC Cup, so the sponsorship changed, and the running of the competition went from AFL Victoria to AFL. And there was a so whereas previously they were pretty trusting of us really because they you know obviously they got to know us but at the start they had to take us on trust you know we were going in there calling the game you didn't need a media you know obviously didn't need a media pass to get in or any of those sort of things you just we did the role but we built up really good relationships with clubs and and with Anthony Stangitz at, at AFL Victoria so we built all that up and then they changed their structure. So we were trying to get keep into that. And I suppose the thing that I should, yeah, I should mention this too. So all these streaming was radio. So it was just, just voice. But at some point, I think it was about 2015 or 14, we were able to, the games were being filmed and we could just get a lead and plug from our commentary into the camera. And all of a sudden there was live pictures being shown. And then that was being shown on like on a YouTube channel and through the TAC Cup website. So that was a, like a good development and that sort of kicked us along for a while. Uh, for a good period, we got to know the camera guys. So, it, you know, for people pretty um, – the listening audience was never what I would call huge. It was more family and friends and, you know, draft nerds and people like that would sort of listen to us and keep a sort of an eye on it. But a lot of it was sort of – family and friends of the players and that kind of stuff. So when the vision came to it, it was really good. Then the structure changed and it went to AFL. So we we sort of thought, you know, where are we going to go here? Um, we thought we, we'd try it. We knocked on a few doors to see, it, can we continue? Can we do this? How do we do it? Blah, blah, blah. And then a week before the seasons, we didn't hear anything. So we thought, well, okay, it was a good gig. We really enjoyed it. It's over. And then a week before it is a bloke from a great bloke from the AFL called Spencer Wilson rang us and said, "You guys still want to commentate?" We go, "Yeah." He said, "Oh, well, can you be at Moorabbin on uh, next Sunday at eleven o'clock?" All right, bring our gear. No, don't bring your gear. Just bring yourselves. That's all you got to do. Um, and the AFL media had taken over, and this was like the coverage, the cameras, and that were like you'd get for. AFL now or the VFL. Like there was two or three cameras at every game. We had a producer talking to us in the year. And we thought, this is pretty good. Like this is, you know, we felt like rock stars. We would, and because we used to have to carry our gear in on a trolley, it was heavy and upstairs. And all of a sudden we're walking in. We used to have to sit down and call the game and go home and get paid nicely for it too, you know, I must, must admit as well. And then for the next, um, eight or nine rounds, we were flown to Sydney to call games, flown to the Gold Coast to call games. The NAB League brought in like the Brisbane Lions, the Gold Coast Academy, the Sydney Academy, Giants Academy. So we were calling all their games, plus the the clubs that it sort of played here. So we did all that, um, and that lasted about a third of the season until the championships started. And then they said, look, we don't want to do it at the moment. We'll just let that go. So we're sort of just on tap. But anyway, it was what it was. Um, we called, I think they had a triple header down at Werribee. We did that. And they didn't want us to call the finals. 
And then the last game I got to call, and this was a thrill for me, was the Young Guns game on the MCG on grand final day. So um, for me, it was a big thrill. I've never called it the MCG. So to go in the media area of the MCG and call on grand final day and have the lanyard to get in, all those sort of things, I got a big kick out of that. And I called it... Um, we had Cal Toomey and Kevin Sheehan were our special comments guys. And for people listening that listen to SEN um, or AFL Nation, they may have heard Matthew Cox um, calling. And Matthew's also pushes the buttons for Gary and Tim when they ask, when well, Gary and Tim took, refer to Coxie, that's Matthew Cox. So Matthew and I called a lot of games together um, as a young fella. Really, he's a guy. Remember his name because he'll be a superstar someday. He'll be on the tally, I'm sure, Matthew. He's doing a great job. So Matthew, I, Cal Toomey and Kevin Sheen called this Young Guns game So at the MCG. And the year after COVID started and there was no competitions and there was no none of that in the following year, um, we sort of had gone, guys like Matthew had gone to SEN on getting older, got grandkids now and other sort of things. You know, it took a lot of time all those years. It was great fun, but... You know, you're trying to – I'm doing that each weekend and I'm going to watch Essendon play and you're doing all those sort of things. So maybe it had a shelf life. It was also significant at the time. There was a lot of um, – I think they were called talent managers or general managers of those regions. People that might have heard like Ian Kite was at Calder Cannons. Michael Turner was down at the Geelong Falcons. Peter Francis at Gippsland Power. Phil Partington up at uh, Greater Western – uh, Rebels up at North Ballarat, all those guys moved on. So it was like an era was over. And just me personally, I thought, you know, all those guys had left, we'd build great relationships with them. You know, maybe maybe the universe is talking to us and we've had our run, we've played our part. Um, we're no longer dealing, as I say, we had a great relationship with the AFL Vic Media guy, Anthony Stangitz, and he was no longer involved. And, um, yeah, I suppose it, it just it, – it, it had run its race. We'd sort of done it. I keep an eye on it. Um, we'd used a lot of guys. So me and my mate Rick, we're both in our – you know, we're now both in our 60s, so we're in our 50s. So we used a lot of guys like Matthew Cox that were young. Um, some of your listeners may have seen a guy called Caden McDonald. He's a bit of a YouTube sensation. Um, he's a Melbourne supporter. So he's got his own YouTube channel and stuff like that. We've had um, – there's a young lady who graduated today, Siobhan Rowe, who does the North Talk podcast, um, similar to what you guys are doing for North Melbourne. So she was a ground – a boundary rider for us. So we sort of – everyone had sort of found a niche to do – go on to their next sort of project. So I thought, well, maybe it's time to spend more time worrying about Essendon and maybe stuff I've got to do at home. Yeah. But it, yeah. Certainly certainly a lot of fun and I really enjoyed yeah. the, the relationships you, you built with with really professional people and seeing the kids go through. We used to get invited to the Morrish Medal every year, which was a fantastic event. Like it was like the it was like the Brownlow Medal and big deal and things like that. Was we were rubbing shoulders with some pretty good people. Yeah. It sounds like a fantastic experience. And I mean, you know, you, you sort of did it as a, you know, you dipped your toe in and you, you built it up and, you know, you have 
you know, 10 years of stories and experiences that you'll, you'll treasure for the rest of your life. I imagine. You do. And you, you, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, um, you still bump into some players. So, um, a lot of my mates say I'm very good at dropping names, but another one of my cousins um, in that family um, is Jack Billings' mother for St Kilda. So Jack was a Jack used to Jack and his mother and father and my auntie Rita used to sit near us at Marvel at where we sit, and um, so Jack was a great Essen supporter. So to see him come through and play for the Oakley Chargers, he played in a premiership for Oakley, and his best mates Luke McDonald and. I bump into Luke now and again, and Luke still says I'm the greatest commentator that has ever called him. So just there's those little quirky things you don't. I don't see Luke. I bump into Luke now and again at functions and things. So there's players like that that still sort of keep a little bit in touch. Darcy McPherson was another guy that we, you know, not a big name, but he's still playing for the Gold Coast. Um, we used to, you know, just for Essendon players that that we've that I think of now, one's played there the whole time is Kyle Langford. So he was a Northern Knight and seeing him come through, I'm, I'm wrapped the way he's just playing. He's you'd just. Pretty, you'd be pretty excited of how he's going so far this year and just the way he's adapted to so many different situations in game. He's been really impressive. He, he's got a, he's got a coolness. He reminds me of Blake Carousella. It's just, he's, coolness in a crisis you know he's just he's just excellent um i like seeing him and a young bloke i remember interviewing he was injured in his top age year was sam wiedemann and um i remember speaking to him out at box hill city oval at a halftime break and he's a he was a terrific kid i just so respectful so polite um got his head screwed on um and he's having a great year. I was rep when he came to us, and I think he's a he's a great kick for goal. And we're just if when Peter Wright comes back, he and Sam Wiedemann, they talk about um, you know I'm putting I'm putting too much pressure on him, but they talk about Hawkins and Cameron and McKay and Kerno. They'll be talking about Wiedemann and Wright. They they they're going to be hard for the opposition to hold out. Very keen on the on the two of them up and get the two of them on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I think we're, we're coming up towards the hour mark, so I think we're going to wrap up tonight. But before we finish, do you have any final words or shout-outs before we end? Um, no, nah, look, I, I'm, I'm not here to blow blow wind, but I really enjoy the I enjoy you blokes listening. I, I tend to um, – I suppose what we did 10 years ago is what they call self-publishing now. We were self-publishing back 10 years ago, and that's what you guys are doing. Mm. And you hear, if you listen to blokes like Craig Hutchison um, and media and young people going through, start doing it. Like, just self-publish. Just get yourself out there and start mm. talking about it. And I listen to all those things, and some I last half an hour with because I don't want to hear – I, I want to hear something that I don't – I want something explained to me. So I think I wrote in that comment about Anzac Day. I saw it. I just needed it explained to me what happened. <laughs> I, was, I was dumbfounded, but and that one really hit a chord. So for you um, and Jonathan, just keep up that good work because that it, it, 
you, I enjoy listening to David King and those blokes and, and trying to unravel why things are happening. I can see it. I still trust my eye on footballers. You know, I think I've got a good eye for a good player. So, um, but I like to hear how the, the tactics and the where we're going to improve and 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 what we can do. And um, for that next generation that haven't seen a flag since two thousand, don't give up faith. Keep the faith. It's worth it in the end. You'll you'll. I've seen Essendon win four premierships. I've walked out of the MCG a winner on four times. So. And I expect to do it again. Yeah. Sooner rather than later. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people uh, sharing that sentiment there. Look, thanks so much, Phil, for joining me. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, you you sharing your stories with me over over this time. And uh, again, thanks for sharing them with the Don the Stat listeners. I think they're going to really appreciate what you've had to say. And I think there's probably some more stories buried there that maybe we can get you back uh, <laughs> a few <laughs> a bit later and get some more get some more great ones there. Anytime, mate. Yeah, awesome. Anytime. Yeah. Well, look, just before we go, for those listening on on the made feed, this was released a week earlier on Patreon. You can sign up to the Patreon from the link in the episode description. Um, and a bonus episode we released early to patrons each month. But other than that, um, stay safe, everyone, and go Dons.